Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. I have a very special guest with me today. My good friend Ian Mooney is here. Hey. We are going to be discussing the, the passage in Matthew 16, where uh, Jesus refers to Peter as the rock upon which the church will be built. Uh, I think we both have some feelings about this, and, and obviously it's been a, a controversial idea in the history of the church. Um, so, you know, I, I want to just dive right in, but, um, so that folks who maybe haven't heard the other episodes that you've been on already know who you are and what you're all about. Why don't you, uh, give yourself a little brief introduction? Absolutely. I would love to. First off, let me say thank you for having me back on. Uh, it's always, um, a delight to, uh, collaborate with you on, uh, the Word of God. Uh, you know, I know that it's been um, posted up on the little episode notes that yours truly has been producing the last couple of episodes. Let me say again that that too has been uh, the highlight of my past couple of weeks to really sit down and like help this project uh, 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 get out to the listeners because I think that uh, it's nice to talk about the Bible and it's nice to have space to talk about the Bible. And uh, so for whoever doesn't know, hasn't listened to my episodes, is curious why I'm on, I'm just a guy who likes to talk about the Bible. And so that's what we're going to do today. <laughs> Wonderful. So, um, so for a little context, mm-hmm. the, the idea of this passage in, in Matthew 16, and we're talking about Matthew 16, mm-hmm. we're talking kind of vaguely around verses... 17 through uh, 20. But in reality, we're going to talk a little bit past 17 through 20 as well. because For sure. Uh, there's, an, there's an interesting passage that immediately follows this portion where Jesus <laughs> refers to Peter as the rock, where he then calls him Satan. Uh, <laughs> so obviously we're going to be touching on that. I want to address a little bit about the end of the, the, uh, the Gospel of Mark. And I also want to bring in a, uh, a Gnostic gospel from the Nag Hammadi um, library called Peter and the Pearl Seller, which is actually a second century um, story that obviously has no uh, historical uh, evidence to, to back it up and was, was removed from the canon entirely. But it is an interesting tale and one that obviously had enough importance in the church early on that it was something that people wanted to engage with. This is um, this is good. I'm glad that we've got. Uh, you're already laying out that we're not moored to this one passage because I too have a few that I want. To, I want to talk about Matthew 16. I want to talk good. about Luke 5. I want to talk good. about Second Peter also. Preach. So, Excellent. I'm ready Excellent. to like get into <laughs> this rock question and really think about what's at stake here. Now, talking about this, talking about this. This section of scripture was was your idea uh-huh. at first. What what made you want to talk about this? What brought this into your mind? I'll tell you exactly. Uh, 
So I am uh, doing a little uh, doing a little writing project, I guess. Um, and I was reading Luke five, uh, which is where Christ calls to Peter, then Simon, to um, end his life as a fisherman and begin his life as a fisher of men. Um, and I was, and that's, I was thinking about how deep fish pun uh, that is as a passage and um, how inspiring that moment is um, that you would like look to this book as something to imitate and emulate in your own life. And I, I got to thinking like, Peter, you know, Peter's talked about a lot. Like we mentioned this, I think, before we started recording, but he's without a doubt the person most taught, aside from Christ, the person most, mm-hmm. actually, maybe even more than Christ. I really haven't counted it out. But the person <laughs> like most talked about by name has got to be Peter. There's no way anybody comes close to, to him. And so I was thinking like, well, they call him the rock, right? Like, where is that? And so I, I uh, uh, headed over to Matthew to read this passage. And I will be damned if Matthew 16, and like you said, seven, I mean, fall right up with the transfiguration, right? In 17, that's a, a worthy portion. But my point is, is that 16 has a lot going on in it. It's not like this, this part where Christ calls him the rock. However, we're going to interpret that. But like a Mm. lot of stuff happens there. And so I thought like, this is cool. Okay, we want to think about, I want to think about why, why he's called the rock. Why are, why is this even a point of contention? Like what's at stake here? Um, And uh, see what it'll bring out for us. I think, Mm. I think it'll be a a rich discussion. Well, I'm glad you brought it up because... Um, I myself have been kind of in this uh, eternal struggle of, of contending with my more traditional church background, uh, identifying and understanding a lot of Catholic leanings, mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. not necessarily truly understanding the basis for the power structure of the Catholic Church. It's the thing I think that I struggle the most with. And, and, and I hope that at no point someone's listening to this and goes, all right, fuck this, I'm not listening to this podcast anymore, they're questioning the Pope. I hope that we know each other well enough at this point to know that I ask a lot of questions, and those questions aren't necessarily questions to try to tear apart institutions. Some institutions deserve to be torn apart, but in this case, uh, you know, I'm really just curious as to why it is that we felt the need to put one human being, one person, uh, in in the place uh, at the top of this church rather than creating a level playing field, which Jesus, Jesus seems to be interested in doing most of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I think in order to, um, to really engage with the, the notion of this passage first, we have to talk about what the hell, what is the rock? You know, um, and, and not the famous actor, Dwayne Johnson, but what is, what is Jesus referring to when we're saying the rock? Uh, and he says, the rock upon which I will build my church. There's a reference to building a home on a steady foundation. Earlier on, Jesus refers to this, that a home built on, on a rock will not you know, fall to the winds or not fall in a storm. So this is, this is, uh, this is not an idea that is um, totally foreign, right? But why is it important 
to a church as they're building itself up, that one person is established as that foundation, knowing that that person is mortal and knowing that that person will someday die. You want to read it? Let's do it. Let's start there. Um, I am on the road right now. I'm actually down in California visiting some family, so I don't have my normal spread of Bibles. Which one did you bring? Yeah. I brought two with me to discuss this passage. That's right. Cool. Which ones? <laughs> Got on the Phelps? plane with two Bibles. <laughs> I, I brought the, the Phillips, uh, Phillips, the J.B. Phillips New, New Testament, modern, uh, modern English translation, and I also brought the Kingdom New Testament uh, by N.T. Wright. You, you know, I've been getting into the Phillips lately. Uh, I love the way it's you cool. say certain things. It's cool. It's, it's, it's like, it says modern English, but then you read it and it feels dated, but it feels dated in the way that like listening to 60s rock records like, <laughs> feels dated. You know what I mean? Like this isn't ancient, but it's old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's it. Cool. <laughs> so uh, let's, since you brought up the Phillips, let's. Yeah, hit, um, hit me with the Phillips. Let's, let's read What's that. What's old JB got about this one? JB says, <clears throat> Uh, so this is Peter's bold affirmation. We're in Matthew 16. That's here. what it's I'm called, actually... Peter's bold affirmation. Yes, from the thirteenth, from the thirteenth verse unto the twentieth. Uh, uh, yeah. So I'll just read all the way through this section here. Uh, when Jesus reached Caesarea Philippi district, he asked his disciples a question: Who do people say the Son of Man is? While well, some say John the Baptist, they told him. Some say Elijah. Others Jeremiah. Or uh, one of the prophets. But what about you, he said to them? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. Simon, son of Jonah, you are a fortunate man indeed, said Jesus. For it was not your own nature, but my heavenly Father who revealed this truth to you. Now I tell you that you are Peter, the rock. And it is on this rock that I am going to found my church. And the powers of death will never have the power to destroy it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be what is forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be what is permitted in heaven. Then he impressed on his disciples that they should not tell anyone that he was the Christ. Well, we've got... um... A uh, mini millennia of church doctrine to unpack here about this one. So where do you want to start? This, do you want to start thinking in this about small, yeah. in this small section? So much of uh, of what the church went on to believe uh, seems to be built off of this. The first thing that strikes me about this is not actually that Jesus is referring to to Peter as a rock or renaming him, you know, rather Simon to to Peter here, but the passage where he says, uh, what you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. What you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. As though heaven is following the rules, or rather following the, uh, the guidelines that people uh, set on earth. Yeah, what? it really doesn't seem like the right <laughs> order, does it? It seems a little backwards, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, why would Peter be the one that would be deciding? Or I mean, if, even if you're not going to say it's just Peter, why would the church be the ones deciding what goes up there, where the big guy should be making the decisions, right? Hmm. Uh, I'm baffled, and I'm left kind of speechless, to be completely honest, because I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I get the, I get the idea that within the church, 
within the group of, the, of, of, of believers, within, among the blessed people, that like what we hold true is to be like what is true to the gospel. And in that way, that is equal here as, you know, as it is in heaven. Um, but the way it's worded leaves a lot of room for interpretation there. I think it's very curious. I would like to pose to you a little, like, side question. Sure. Before I opine myself on this one. So, like, this is a really stupid question. Please forgive me. But it's only meant to, um, to bring out some of our ideas. So, um, you know, what do you think is at stake here with this rock matter? Like, we've been talking about... This is a, I, I sent you that little video about this guy definitively proving, like explainer YouTube video style, that um, Protestants were wrong. And we can show that what this means is that Peter is the rock. You know, and then um, I grew up evangelical, as you know, uh, and what I frequently heard was that, no, 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 it's not him, it's the confession. So, like, do you think... Like, is this all, is, is, is it, is it what you were discussing? Like, you think that, do you think that um, part of this conflict, part of, uh, like, what we, what we're here uh, thinking over this is that it seems that we don't like that one guy would be invested with some kind of authority, that it, that it could be that Christ is, like, allowing somebody to say what goes and doesn't go? I think that um, my general uh, feeling towards a passage like this uh, is that I'm, I'm really, really skeptical that Jesus' real intention in what he says here is that you, Peter, are one uniquely gifted uh, apostle, uh, someone who, amongst the others who I've also gifted with the Holy Spirit, you specifically will start a line of leadership in a singular church that will then form the one true church that the only form of belief in the in Jesus as the Son of God will you know will see its way through history. I am I'm really really skeptical that that's specifically what's being said, and there's a number of reasons why. That one of the videos, and maybe we should link this video in the in the show notes so that people can watch it too. If you have 19 minutes to spare and don't mind going <laughs> every five minutes as you're watching this, um, I really groaned a lot. I put it on the Discord. I was streaming it on the Discord before we started um, before we started recording this episode because I I, the, I don't know how to react. Too. Yes, the very the first one. The I didn't rock have a solid to, Catholic. To watch this. The rock solid Catholic. Yes, yeah. and he has keys. His symbol on his shirt is mm-hmm. is keys mm-hmm. crossing the. Um, it, it seems to me like um, like there are smaller, less important aspects of church doctrine that hinge on very small portions of of scripture that maybe it could be argued or it could very easily be argued that there is contradictory statements throughout other parts of Scripture. Uh, these, these pieces of doctrine that are built on very specific parts of, uh, of Scripture, I don't, I don't see how it's possible 
that this is actually what is is being said. I'm not saying that uh, that uh, papal authority is null. I'm not saying that the Catholic Church is a fraud. I'm not saying any of that right now. So I don't want anyone to to take this as like an inherently anti-Catholic message. But I, I think that we would be uh, we would be foolish to to take this exactly at face value and say there's nothing else to dig into here. That's exactly what's being said. I absolutely agree with that statement right there. And I'll tell you, I think that you um, you said something very insightful um, really early on when you pointed out that Jesus isn't usually hierarchical. Why all of a sudden would he establish? the most absolute and singular hierarchy in the entire church. It does mm-hmm. seem a little out of character, but... If we think about a rock, too, mm-hmm. a rock is a foundation for the church. This is not Jesus implying, uh, and I'm just taking off with this, but this is not Jesus implying that... Um, Peter, you are the one that's going to sit on the throne that's at the head of this church that's built on the rock that I'm establishing right now. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying, you are the rock. The church is going to be built above this. You are the foundation for it, but you are not the structure of the church. You are not the lone uh, piece holding the church together necessarily. You're what's the what the church is actually built on top of. And in that way, I see it as a message to to Peter specifically, but to all of, of Jesus' disciples and apostles, uh, to, to all of the people that were following him that closely at the time that were on the road with him, that were spreading his message, and into Acts. I mean, you see Jesus speak to Paul, and the way that Jesus speaks with Paul is very, very similar to how you see him speak with Peter. Peter's name, I think this is this is one point that the, the video that I was referring to earlier that they made very well is that Peter's name is, is spoke Simon or Peter's name is spoken 195 times I think in the, in mm-hmm. across all of the the New Testament and I think the next highest name is a hundred times or something like that or even less than that John's name is only spoken by Jesus 16 times so uh, despite him you know being uniquely gifted and blessed in, in his own way and loved um, so yes Peter obviously held a precious place in the early ministry and 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 was very beloved by Jesus but just like um, just like Jesus says at the end of the gospel of Mark go forth and make disciples of all nations when he's addressing 11 people not just Peter uh, this seems to me like it could just as easily have been an address to everyone that was with him knew him intimately and was gifted with the spirit in the way that Jesus said that he that he gifted them well, um, you know, I think that you you bring up a, a good point there, and uh, uh, it's not but two chapters later in um, Matthew eighteen eighteen that we have Christ saying, sort of repeating himself and sort of not, where now he's addressing all of the disciples, and he's like, truly yes. I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's English standard mm-hmm. version. You know, so I think that if we... Okay, if we've got like a column here, right, and one is like the man is rock, and one is the confession is rock, kind of like a... Which is not a dichotomy I want to like sign up for here. Then I think that this uh-huh. is a pretty good like mark, though, in the confession 
is rock thing here. If just a couple chapters later, Christ is saying it again, but now, especially since like he says, you're the rock. And so whatever you say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't know. I, I think that there's like an interesting, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be exclusive. And yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the reason why I wanted to bring the um, Gnostic yeah. gospel of Peter and the Pearl Seller into this was because the first time that I read through Matthew 16 while we were talking about this episode, of this concept for this episode, was that I get this very kind of, um, this sort of back and forth vibe. At, if anyone who's read the, uh, the Gospel of Thomas has, has read, I mean, it, it feels like nonsense at times, but there are lucid moments in the Gospel of Thomas, just like there are in some of the other more, um, more coherent Gnostic Gospels. Um, but Jesus jumps very, very quickly from, uh, you're blessed, you're, you're special, um, you are gifted, and I give you the Spirit, to, you know nothing about the kingdom, get away from me, you will, you will fail me, uh, and Jesus jumps between these these uh, feelings very, very quickly in the Gospel of Thomas. So the first thing I thought of was like, wow, Jesus has big Gospel of Thomas vibes in this passage because he jumps from saying, Peter, you're the rock on which I'll build the church. And then Peter has this moment in his own mind, uh, asks another question. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, get away from me. I never, you know, and, and so he's, uh, he's very, separating. A very important statement by Peter. Go on, go on. In, <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we read that? Because this will this will give me a little bit of background for. Okay, what. yeah, let's read it. I'll um, read it. Uh, so this is uh, from twenty one. Uh, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, "Far be it from you, Lord." This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. I want to read just a little more because I think that, mm -hmm. that this is pretty cool. <laughs> please, please. Uh, then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to... To what he has done. <laughs> uh, now we're... Works. Yeah. Uh, works. Is it works? Is it works? Right? Okay. So there's that. Lots to think about here. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What the fuck does that mean too? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> who? <laughs> is it me? <laughs> None of them will, yeah, it, uh, implying that some of you will not die until you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's historically a false statement by Jesus there, because they're all dead. <laughs> they're all dead now. Uh, but again, we're talking translations upon translations. We're talking about thousands of years of, of this story being passed on and, and understood. And, and so I don't take that to say, well, Jesus 
Jesus wasn't right about this, right? There's other ways to interpret what they're saying here, but but Peter, after being told he's the rock that the church will be built upon, then says, no, you're wrong, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. Big mood, man. I'm with you. What? No way, <laughs> Christ. I don't think so. So I was thumbing through um, on my journeys. Uh, I brought my Kingdom New Testament. Uh-huh. I brought my um, J.B. Phillips New Testament. And I brought the Essential Gnostic Gospels oh, that, wow. I, that I just love. And it's got, um, yeah, I'm a real, I'm a real interesting, uh, uh, I imagine the people that go, like the TSA, look if they look through your stuff, they make all kinds of assumptions. And I, I largely just travel with books like this and, and basically nothing else, clothes and pills. Um, so I, <laughs> in in this book there is um, Peter and the Pearl Seller, and I'm going to read the little introduction to it, and then I'm going to read a little section of it because I think it kind of, in a way, um, it, it, being a part of the historical church and the background of the church, um, this is something that the early church believed, and a lot of the folks that that read a passage like this one in Matthew 16 and say, well, here it is. That's what the early church believed. Peter was unique. He was given this authority, and so everyone that followed Peter in this line is uniquely um, given this authority, too. Uh, I'll read the introduction, and then I'll read the passage that I wanted to uh, hear. So it says, from the Acts of Peter, the saint narrates a profound parable about a sea voyage with the eleven apostles to an island city. There he meets a pearl seller named Lethargol. Uh, Following his instructions, they prepare for a journey to the city of Nine Gates. On arrival, Lethargol, and I'm sorry if I'm uh, butchering that name, reveals himself himself as Christ incognito and talks with Peter, giving him further instructions. The allegory probably dates from the second century. Uh, So Peter, in the introduction of the story, says... Uh, we are all on this journey together. We are um, spreading the word and the covenant of, of Jesus, um, spreading the gospel. We are trying to help people and heal people and doing just kind of the general good things, the things you see in Acts. And uh, so in Peter and the Pearl Seller, um, towards the beginning of the story, there's um, a couple, and it's written in kind of stands as it feels a little bit like a long, long-form poem or something like that. Uh, It says, with 11 apostles, I, Peter, decided to attempt a sea voyage in search of an unknown country as an adventure for our souls. In our hearts, we were all of one mind and covenanted to fulfill the ministry to which our Lord Jesus Christ had called us, us, many people. This is Peter himself in the the eyes of the old church, uh, doesn't seem to be asserting that he himself was the only one that was called for this, right? That the the, the many uh, of the apostles, 11 of the apostles, were tasked in this way. Uh, it, if you want to read this story, I, I really think that you should, because you'll see that Jesus comes back in the form of this pearl seller and, and spreads sort of an extra little bit of wisdom. It's, it's mostly uh, about healing the sick and about doing good and giving. Um, it, there's certainly nothing about um, the establishment of the early church, uh, and so really in that way, the reason why I brought it up in the first place was it seems to be like even in the early church here, we see instances of them not seeming to be intent on Peter being unique in his, uh, in his authority 
with God. And you see, I mean, in, in the other Gnostic Gospels in the early church writings, it doesn't really seem necessarily that Peter has to be the leader of the group. He's the one that has this exchange with uh, the pearl seller who turns out to be the, an, another sort of form of Christ. But if you read the other early Gospels that weren't included in the canon too, you'll see the same thing. And like I mentioned earlier, Jesus talks to Paul in the same way in Acts. So um, we see things, uh, the implication in, in the secret book of James and the Gospel of Thomas that Jesus has certain things to other apostles. That are, uh, that are unique to their experience. If you read the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, there's an implication that, that Jesus shared things with Mary Magdalene that he only shared with her, that um, that idea would have been heretical at the time, uh, at the time when the church was really solidifying their power. Uh, we're talking after the second century. Uh, once the church was established, uh, once the threat in the last episode, the one I think I'm going to release probably today or tomorrow with Austin Moult, he makes a comment about how in the early church, the largest threats for, were from the outside of the church. Mm -hmm. And yeah, then once I the church that. was established, the threats were from within. And that's when things, um, certain uh, doctrine had to be solidified and people started to get punished if they strayed outside of that. This is also around the same time when the canon was kind of solidified and established. I think that there's something to think about here in that the idea that Jesus spoke uniquely to other people in the same way that Jesus spoke to Peter uh, threatens what they were trying to build as far as a, a power structure from within the church. You know, I, I don't blame him. <laughs> because uh, <laughs> one thing I think I like about the Catholic Church today is that it provides a nice hierarchy maybe hierarchy is the wrong word it's because it's not necessarily the hierarchy that i love you know me god's anarchy um <laughs> but i do think i'll work on my way to my point i guess when you do mass in the catholic church your mass your readings all of this stuff is the same kind of mass the same kind of readings that all other Catholics are getting, right? Mm -hmm. And so it is, it is nice, I think, to imagine that you, in Catholicism, you really do get a worldwide body that you're a part of. And when you're participating in Catholic worship, you know that this is something that you are quite actually sharing with all other Catholics. And um, I think it's nice that since, since they've got doctrine, uh, and, and that doctrine has to, be, has to be law, that what that means they get is a nice tradition of debate and discussion. Like they are, they are still thinking about what's at stake in affirming a belief, which, you know, I mean, I'm not an anthropologist, nor a theologian, nor any, like, cultural studier of America, but the, the tension between Catholicism and Protestantism is, is very much alive here. And I think that perhaps one of the biggest 
downsides of American Protestantism as it's practiced here is that it very much is this sort of laissez-faire, just like, oh, I've got a personal relationship with Jesus, and that's what it is. It's just me and God. And I think that that's very anti... I think that that blocks you from the kind of love that you can really radically experience in Christianity. Not to say that it's guaranteed in Catholicism, but my point here is that, you know... I'm sure it was really hard for them to get this church up off the ground. Wanting, <laughs> right? This is like uh, uh, the problem Very. with Israel, right? They wanted a king. It's <laughs> easier to get behind. I don't know, man. I, I guess. I I don't know. I I. I, I guess what I'm just saying here is is I sympathize. That's it. I think. It's absolutely understandable, and this is where and I sympathize too, and it's absolutely understandable that they felt the need to establish a hierarchy. They felt the need to um, create, when, when it became that they were a church that was maybe going to stand the test of time, when it seemed as though they weren't going to be wiped off the, the, the face of the planet by uh, oppressive authorities, um, when they wanted to appear as though they were going to last, they needed to find some way to buckle down what they actually believed. Now, you know, the Catholics could argue, well, Martin Luther kind of screwed that all up. You know, this whole pesky Reformation thing kind of blew the whole Christian church up, and now it is again where people can kind of just believe whatever they want to believe. And wouldn't it be great if we could just kill people that were heretics? Um, <laughs> not that anyone in the Catholic Church actually believes that, but you know, that was kind of how they Hopefully. handled it. <laughs> there are some. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it does kind of seem that that is one thing that I that I think I can see and sympathize with to say, like, yeah, well, now it is kind of true that. So I went to a church this morning. Yeah. Beautiful church. It was, uh, and I'm not going to name the church, and I won't even say what city I'm in because I don't want anyone to think that I'm, 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 I'm taking issue with any particular church or any particular denomination. It was a Protestant denomination, one that has a historical, um, a solid historical basis, but um, one that isn't necessarily, you know, it's, it's not Catholic, I'll just say it that. Um, they opened their service with the chiming of a singing bowl, uh, a t- the Tibetan mm-hmm. singing bowl, and they, they chimed, this is, this is a moment of Centering is what they call it. We're going to have our moment of centering before our Christian service. Cool. And my first thought was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Like that kind of rocks. Like I love, I love rocks. the bells. I, <laughs> rocks. It rocks. Um, I, I love, um, you know, pipe organ music that resonates through your body when you're in a Catholic church or in a, yeah. the Episcopals do this a little more too. Um, that sort of, uh, vibrational, meditative energy is so important in, in, in Christian worship. And it's something that is completely lost on a lot of Protestant denominations today. Yes, my friends But I my did mom. also think there's a thought in the back of my head where I was like, what the hell is this, <laughs> what the hell is this doing in a Christian service? Uh, and, 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 you know, what, what on earth would the early church fathers think of something like this being incorporated into a Christian worship. 
Um, so when you when you reach a point in in the church's history where it doesn't really seem like that existing power structure has any hold anymore, it does create a kind of spiritual anarchy, an anarchy that I know that you love, Ian. I know oh, that yeah. you're a fan of this, and and as someone who is raised Catholic, I still kind of want a little bit of uh, predictability. Sure. I kind of want to be able to know what to expect. I love the organ, but then, uh, yeah, but in that same way, when you, when you when it's too predictable, when there is too much structure, it then feels stuffy. Mm-hmm. It then feels like I I can't express myself. Um, you know, I can't even feel like I can't even cough in the church. I feel like I'm disturbing something. Mm. You know. Um, so it, 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 worship, in, it just feels to me like truly knowing God is a hard enough thing to do um, that we are now also trying to walk this tightrope in Christianity between mm-hmm. uh, leaning Here over to go. the side of t- being too regimented and, and, and too tied to the existing power structure or yes. falling off the other, the other cliff. And the other cliff is, uh, is uh, you know, interpretive painting exercises yeah. in yeah. <laughs> church yeah. services. Uh, where does that leave us? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not actually expressing an opinion right now. All I'm saying is that we are at a, a, a and, and throughout the, the course of church history, they've always been afraid of this precipice that we're on. And that's where I see it being so important to Catholicism that this particular passage be so mm-hmm. true, be mm-hmm. so literal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, can I, can I wander here? I'm just like going into uncharted Shoot. territory. Okay, cool. Shoot, I'm shooting brother. from the hip. All right. So um, in the process of doing what limited research I did for this, um, I was, you know, you, you've inspired me. And now whenever I want to like research something, I hop on YouTube and see, see what sermons I can pull up and see what people have been talking about. And I came across one that I did not watch, but it was, um, but the name, <laughs> the name of the church was so uh, outlandish that I had to like kind of go down that rabbit hole and figure out what they were about. The church was called a colonial church. And I thought like, that's funny. Why would you want a church to be associated with colonialism? It's kind of a funny thing. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Uh, and then I was, and you know, for a minute I was like, okay, well maybe they, maybe it's like on the East coast. <laughs> sure. And so it's like Plymouth historical, but it's not. Yeah. It's in Waco, Texas. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> and I was scrolling through their like about page, you know, and um, and here's an interesting thing tying back to the very episode that you um, just referenced a little earlier, the one with Austin, where you I think brought up a very intriguing question about the nature of the Trinity, uh, and like. Uh, like tried to like get at the passage thinking like, well, how would we read this? Like we can read this with our solid understanding of the Trinity now, but like that's modern theology. And maybe we want to just try and get at what these guys were thinking at and see how it can. So, you know, keeping that in mind, this, uh, the about page for, oh, maybe I shouldn't have named him. Ah, fuck him. Who cares? Um, for colonial <laughs> church was like, very, very not surprising, right? Like, we believe in the Trinity, very literally. It is specifically these three persons. Each means this. Uh, and then in the Bible part, um, I forget exactly how they phrased it, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me anymore, but they, assert, they asserted 
that they were Bible literalists, right? Like we believe that this is the word of God and it should be read literally. And I think that that's a very interesting thing to assert these days. Like we read the literal Bible, right? Because the word literal as many jokes point out, like the meaning is kind of weird these days. Like, do you mean literally, like actually? Do you mean literally, like figuratively, right? But for me, when I hear the word literally, I always think of literature. And so I think like, I like this idea of reading the Bible literally, but reading it like literature. And so... um you know, you're talking about, like, what is at stake in this? I, I, think that you, I think that you just summed it up really well. Like, what's at stake, what confuses us is not... It, it's related to this, this question of, well, how ordered is this supposed to be? How adherent to some kind of orthodoxy is this supposed to be? And how much room do we have to interpret it subjectively, right? Like, that's a really challenging question. Absolutely. And that's, that's like, the, that's part of the, like, church politics here. And I think, I think that it's interesting in this passage, and this is why I wanted, okay, so now I'm going to do a, a podcast turnaround, and now I'm going to say, okay, Peter is the rock, the literary <laughs> rock of the bible i was reading this before we started recording and i was thinking like man so christ asks these guys who do people say i am and they answer and then he asks now who do you say i am now that is a really fucked up thing to imagine right here's god <laughs> god is speaking to you and is like okay define me <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, who am I? Yeah. You know, like what a, like what a test, right? Like you would be like, Oh, is, 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 are, is he fucking with me? Like if I'm gonna I get si this wrong, I'm going to get this wrong. Yeah. Right. Like if I get this wrong, does that mean I'm in hell? <laughs> like what happens? <laughs> but, but Peter speaks up, right. And he says something. And I was thinking about this, like, okay, this is pretty cool. This is Peter becomes the rock of the church, when he decides or when he attempts to define Christ, to interpret Christ, to like make sense of Christ. And that's when Jesus is like, yeah, okay, man, good work. It's God that works through you. And furthermore... Yeah. <laughs> Everything and and furthermore, like you have the keys of heaven to decide like what this is all going to mean. And I thought, like, man, that is so fascinating. And you know, I couldn't help it. I'm I'm no student of Greek, if only Lilia were here, but I couldn't help but do a little bit of um Greek studying around uh this question of what is loosed in heaven and what is uh uh, bound on earth, etc. Mm. Because I have an interesting note in my Bible. Uh, I've got the um, English Standard Version Study Bible um, produced, uh, published by um, Crossway in uh, 2008. I, I want everybody to have access to this footnote. So um, 
in, in verse 19, it's written, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven with this note. It says, or shall have been bound, or shall have been loosed. Pretty weird. So I did a little digging, and I found um, the Greek word. Uh, it is something that I cannot read or pronounce <laughs> because, okay, actually I can pronounce it because I have the little uh, transliteration here. It's este. Uh, and este is listed as a third-person singular future middle indicative. <laughs> what does that mean, right? No one. No one knows. No one knows. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the middle thing that I thought was interesting. Middle means it's not, uh, it's not accusative or it's not active or passive. What does that mean? I'm not 100% sure. But mm -hmm. shall have been bound or shall have been loosed. I think that what is interesting here is that there seems to be great effort in this phrasing, in this word, to not... Make it simply what you do will happen, what you forbid won't happen. Like it really seems, it almost seems to be saying like, like this shall have been bound. This isn't the active voice. This isn't the passive. This is, um, I think it, it described it as the term of something doing an action to itself. So it, if I were left to my own interpretive devices, uh, I would think that this is sort of saying, the Christ is not simply saying what you do is going to be the way it is, but that when you decide on something, when you are as the rock making the confession that is inspired by God, then... It's not that that changes the nature of heaven, but rather that that means that what heaven is and always has been is what you guys have decided. Now, I don't think that means that what we say goes. I mean, no. I think I, I like more to think that it means when we're really inspired and filled with the love of God, then like we can see that God and heaven and this and living in this perfect love have always been this, this line, this possibility. And that like heaven, the experience of heaven is going to be something that we can experience and like when we assert it when we make the love of god here on earth you know this is like um uh, uh oh you were talking about austin with the pentecost right this is like a pentecost mm. thing like the holy spirit comes down that's the presence of god i think that that's a similar thing that we're dealing with here is not that like peter's confession is about giving him the authority to decide the rules but that when we are 
I'm not 100% sure I have the words or the intelligence to like describe it right now, but I think, I don't know, I, I think that Christ is, is giving us something interesting and concrete here, that like we really do have the power to experience something heavenly, and uh, I've been talking plenty. No, I think that you're, you're at a really interesting point. Because this is something that the Phillips translation didn't do very well, that the N.T. Wright translation, I think, does a little bit better. Uh, his translation will say, whatever you tie up on earth will have been tied up in heaven. This is what, yeah, similar cool, to what the ESV cool. says. And whatever, whatever you untie on earth will have been untied in heaven. Uh, with that past notion to it, saying that actually the decisions that you come to are divinely inspired. Yeah, That's not yeah. saying that you're always going to do everything right. Yes. But the decisions that you're making as a church, or specifically to Peter, the decisions that you make as the rock of the church, you, uh, you have a direct connection to the inspired Holy Spirit. Yes, and like so alignment. It's not that, yeah, you are not making the decision for heaven. Heaven is making that decision with you. Yeah, through like... Through you. It, it is. It already is. And we can align with it. And sometimes when we're, when we're in the spirit, when we're confessing ourselves, then like we, we, can, we can line it up like that. But, you know, we were already talking about like there's a part in here where Christ is saying like, uh, for the Son of Man is going to come with all his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. You know, like, I do mm -hmm. think that what's at stake here is very, like, you know, I don't want to turn this into an episode where we're trying to figure out, oh, is it works or not works. But I, <laughs> yeah, that's a, but I do. That's a whole other podcast. It is. That's it is a whole other podcast. It's not even just another episode. That's an entire other podcast. <laughs> but but I, think it's, I think it's nice. I think it's good. To know that, or at least to feel like there could be some kind of possibility <laughs> that we can connect with heaven in some real way. And that that is part of our experience and work as Christians. Mm. I think that's kind of cool. I don't really know the fullness of that. The uh, the thing that as as we've been talking, the thing that pops out the most to me, if we if we are to take the the defining moment of Peter as the rock, as uh, as important as the historical church has made it to be, we are also to take Peter then questioning something that Christ says equally as importantly. Yes, he's the rock. He's the rock, and he's the very first one after that to turn around and ask Jesus, like, you, no, actually, I think you might be wrong about this. How important <laughs> yeah. is that, that we as believers, that we as, uh, be us, you know, just, just believers or leaders in the church, turn around and ask these questions, that being inquisitive is an aspect of our holy mission to spread the gospel. How fucking beautiful is that, I think that that is, is what is so beautiful about the mysteries of what Jesus says in the Gospels, be they the canonical Gospels 
or the crazy shit that people don't believe from from after that. Yeah. Um, yes. It's all based yes. on mystery. It's all based Excellent on stuff reading. that we can't fully understand and we won't probably ever truly understand what's being said. Excellent reading. You know, I, I can't believe I can't believe I didn't see it before, but you're right. That is you know, earlier I mentioned or you mentioned and I agreed with you that it seems odd that Christ sort of an anti-hierarchical guy would use this opportunity to establish an ultimate hierarchy. Well, likewise, you know, within this one this one little passage we've been reading, like this is Christ is supposed to be God, right? <laughs> so like it doesn't seem there's no way that he would say one thing one minute and then say the opposite another minute. He's he should have a consistent message if we are yeah. to take this as meaningful. And so, like, <laughs> it doesn't... You're right. Like, that part where he's like, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me for you're not setting your mind on the things of God. Like, it's too easy to be like, oh, look, here's Peter fucking up and God, like, putting him in his place. It's like, well, he just called him. <laughs> like the rock and like blessed by God. Like, why do we have to take this as, as Christ being mean and angry? You know, this could be a moment of, and, and, you know, Satan, we have this in English, a very loaded word, but again, it's accuser. Right. Accuser. That that means something different. It's important to note that. You know, these these are guys who participated in a very rich intellectual tradition, Judaism, at the turn of the century in the first millennium. Like, th- like maybe Christ is is here just trying to like engage his friend in dialogue, and 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 you know, just I don't know, like do the work of of coming to wisdom. Like this doesn't have to be like a spanking. This could be no. a like a hand held out, like let's let's get to wisdom together. And and it's uh, in the like rabbinical tradition. This is how teachers spoke with each other mm-hmm. as they were mm-hmm. arguing out and deciding out aspects of the scripture that maybe they didn't fully understand or they were trying to understand better. It, it's really easy to see Jesus, yeah, a spanking that that this is Jesus being like, "Uh, you're so wrong." No, this is part of a, a spirited conversation, and and the fact that it comes. So we have Jesus uh, bestowing uh, this this title onto Peter. And then we have Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, like, you don't get it. And again, Satan, not Satan, capital S, like all of the English translations are going to say, but accuser. Uh, But directly preceding that is Jesus asking, who do you think that I am? Yeah. He's asking a question. He receives an answer. And then he's questioned again. And that one provokes him. But it doesn't necessarily mean he's cursing these people because you have the remainder of the Gospel of Matthew to show that that one question did not uh, ruin Peter's relationship with Jesus. Far from it. They grew closer and closer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think we talked about this on the Picking and Choosing episode, that no doubt it's difficult to figure out um, like, what can we take here as written clearly and what is a matter of, like, what really is up to us to interpretation? And then when something is up to us to interpret, 
like how do we deal with that and mm. you know so here's another you know and maybe that's not a question that we're ever going to have an answer to um but i think that the the end to this chapter is is interesting like we're trying to we're trying to figure out like okay what does this work mean of binding and loosing on earth and in heaven and like being this anchor this rock upon which the body of Christ the church can can rest and that it ends with Christ saying <laughs> that that this process means that you cannot exist as your own life if you try to preserve yourself as some kind of independent entity then instead you will find death and only if you die and enter into that space of like negativity and multiplicity and chaos anarchy right like you abolish then then that's when you're I don't know. That's when you're when you're doing the works <laughs> that that you should that, that will that will get the good repayment. I think that you know, I don't I don't know if I have the wherewithal right now to unfold a totally cohesive clear theology out of that, but I don't know. I think that that's a pretty I think I think it's pretty easy to pull out some like good basic precepts about how you should go about in the world just based off that little passage. I think it's good. Mm. I like it. <laughs> I think I'm saying I think that this this little one little chapter, 16 here, is pretty cogent and, and like goes together well. I like it. But I wanted to I talk about I... Luke 5. I wanted to talk I about Second say, Peter. I don't, I... <laughs> I don't know if I hit everything that I wanted to hit, but this feels like a logical, this feels like a logical pause point. Uh, Summations. Final thoughts. I love Jesus. <laughs> I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my faith in Christ as the personified presence of God amongst human beings teaching and showing people how to love each other so mm -hmm. that then yes. through yes. us and through the Holy Spirit working through us, we can increase love in the world, increase positivity, increase life throughout the world, uh, and not uh, negate each other's existence, not negate each other's validity as, as people, um, not... Uh, refuse to answer questions, but instead engage with those questions and, and, and grow our spirituality through that community, that is what I love about being a Christian. Yes. That is what I love about Jesus and the stories of Jesus in the gospel. Whether or not Peter is the rock doesn't really actually matter. No, I don't think it does to me either. And, you know, no. I, I just want to... Um, uh, totally agree and underline what you just said um, and just add a little flavor of my own to say that like we we talked about how God might here be modeling the process of 
encountering a difficult concept or question and trying to work and talk it out with us. And, uh, you know, here in the Trans Regret Snoopy community, we do that all the time, right? Like, the main way that we interact as a community, aside from shitposting, is, um, is to come together with questions and yeah. maybe not even answer them. You know, right? Like, what did we come up with yeah. here? I, I, I think our final point on this was like, ah, I don't know if I have an answer about the rock. Thing. I don't care. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> you know, but like, that's good. That, uh, like you said, that there are clearly um, imitatable, imitable. That there are people and um, behaviors in this book that you can say, like, yes, I should imitate this, and that will that will build in me good tools for thinking and believing and loving, and also that there is space for questioning and uh, a delight in that questioning. Yeah, it's good. Mm. It's good. Ah, amen. I didn't, um, I didn't prepare a poem, but let's, uh, let's go back to the Gnostics. Yeah, let's, Instead it. of a poem this week, let's read some, something entertaining from... Uh, from our um, our uh, proverbs that I Give was it discussing to me. earlier. Uh, the Sextus Proverbs 249. Ooh, James Hidden Book. Oh, no, that's not what I'm doing today. Okay. <clears throat> I'll read, uh, I'll just read one proverb. One proverb from the Sextus Proverbs. It's better to be beaten up telling the truth than to be triumphant telling lies. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs>